we have non-Christians turn up at church and their, their reflection at the end of a service is, wow, I've never been somewhere like this where everyone clearly really cares for each other. It's like a family. Hello and welcome to the Serve Asia podcast, where we have conversations about the people and places of East Asia and sharing the good news of Jesus across the streets and across the world. My name's Chris Watts, and today we're continuing our series exploring the ideas of church planting and what it means to establish groups of followers of Jesus all over the world. And today I'm joined by an OMF worker who serves in Japan. His name is John, and for many years he's been involved in church planting ministry there. So John, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I just want to start by by getting to know you a little bit. So it'd be fantastic if you could tell us a bit about yourself, where you are right now, and who else is there with you. Great. Well, no one else is here with me right now. I'm in the church office. We have three rented rooms here that we use as the church, and I'm in the little middle one. Um, but my family are at home um, for wife and, and two children. And whereabouts in Japan are you? We are in Sapporo which is a large city of about 2 million people up on the northern island of Japan. And to get a chance to, to understand you a little bit better, you've got a free Saturday. Money is no object. What are you and the family going to do together? What do you enjoy getting up to? We would probably go to a large park. We have a lot of them around here. We'd run about a bit. We'd climb trees. And most of all, we would tell stories. That's what our, our kids love to do. We sort of act out the story. You know, anything in the park can become a character. And then the whole park is the stage for, for a story. That's our favorite Saturday activity. Brilliant. That sounds like loads of fun. Are there any kind of ongoing stories that you have going there? The characters yeah. reappear? At the moment, we're in the middle of a story where a sea slug and a flat frog are detectives and investigating some suspicious shipping that's been going on. Amazing. The, uh, the mind is a wonderful place. That makes me remember a cartoon from my childhood called Sharky and George. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you remember that. Classic. Yeah, Crime Busters of the Sea. Yeah. So no, there's some inspiration for you. And if you've never heard of that show, listeners, do, do maybe go and check it out. And flipping the question a little bit, you've got an afternoon or an evening to yourself. Uh, it's just John. What are you going to do? I love to write. Uh, that's probably what I spend the time doing. I write all sorts of things, but I especially write poetry. And over the last couple of years or so, I've been also enjoying translating Japanese poems into English, which is fascinating, both as both in terms of the poetry, but also in terms of language. If anyone's interested, I have a blog where you can read some of these poems and translations and things. So do, do check that out. That sounds really interesting. And we will definitely get a link from you for that blog and put it in the show notes. People can go and check that out. And John, could you share a little bit? It's always really interesting to hear how people came to hear the good news of Jesus, how they chose to become followers of him. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey in that way? Yeah, I, I grew up in a church-going family. So I was exposed to the Bible from an early age. But as a child, I really had no understanding of the gospel. And I was a little Pharisee. I remember one conversation with another church-going friend. I guess we were 12 or 13 or something. And we were rating the people in our class out of 25 for how good they were. And when we got to ourselves, we said, well, we, we ought to be 30 out of 25 because we're Christians. So <laughs> really missed the point. As a teenager, I began thinking a lot about the meaning of life and I thought, actually, I can't bear to live if there's no meaning, if it all just disappears. So I began to think about that. I began to read the Bible more seriously. And as I read, I found life only makes sense if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And if God's real, 
and he's really the creator of the universe. It makes sense to give my life to him, to to do whatever he tells me to do, asks me to do, and to follow mm-hmm. him. And in the midst of that, realized, actually, I'm not a 30 out of 25 guy. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. And wonderfully, there is a savior, a perfect one, Jesus Christ. Mm. What a great, a great story. And yeah, just that reminder that, as you say, without Jesus, what is going on? And there must be more than just three score years and, and 10. Mm. And fantastic that through searching scripture, you found him to be the answer to those deep searching questions yeah. of life. Moving the story on a little bit, and you now find yourself thousands of miles from from the shores on, on which you grew up, living in, in Japan. But what were you doing before you made that transition from the UK to Japan? And what led you to think, I think what I want to do is go to this, this far off land where there's a language that is, by all accounts, impenetrable to anyone not born in the country. Yeah, how did you come to want to, to move to Japan? And what were you doing before that moment? Yeah, thank you. So after I finished university, having studied maths, which you'll see I didn't make much use of, I worked in theatre for a number of years. And while I was working as an actor, I began to get some invitations to preach at churches and various evangelistic events and started doing that. And over time, my diary became full of those things instead of full of acting jobs. And I realized, oh, I'm actually working here as a as a Bible teacher, and particularly as an evangelist. So I would go around mm. the country speaking at churches, universities, and in schools about the Lord Jesus. But I sort of carried on using some of my acting as well. My, my first significant contact with OMF was doing a, a one-man play of the life of Hudson Taylor, the founder of CIM, which became OMF, and worked closely with OMF on that. So I was in that evangelistic work, and my wife and I, we were members of a church plant in St. Albans, which became independent from its mother church at around the same time that we joined there. So it's quite an exciting time to be there. And then in terms of how we ended up here, I mean, we, we knew from the Bible that world mission, the, the good news about Jesus going to the world is God's plan for the world mm. and that God calls his people to be involved in taking this wonderful light of Christ into a dark world. In fact, my wife particularly had a heart for overseas and one question that she asked me when we were thinking about starting to date was if the Lord were to call us overseas, would you be willing to go? I think the implied mm. was if not this is the end of <laughs> this relationship. But yeah, I said, well, if the Lord calls us, then then sure. But I, I didn't think he would call us. And a, a couple of years later, I said to her, even if the Lord does call us overseas, I, I'm i not going to learn a foreign language. I have no, <laughs> no interest in doing that. And, you know, I'm used to ministry in English and that that's working fine. Anyway, we, we were praying for the world and thinking about the world, but my ministry in the UK was thriving. It was richly blessed. I was able to share the gospel with 10,000 people or more each year. And for me, you know, world mission, I was getting more and more passionate about it, but it was something to support from the UK in prayer and giving in you know, when I had the opportunity to, to preach and teach, teaching about it. And I, I felt this would be my life's ministry. But Sean was still praying that the Lord might guide us. And particularly, she prayed that if the Lord wanted us to go overseas with the gospel, that he would lay on my heart a particular country. I didn't know mm. that she was praying that. But while she was, I was reading a book about mission needs in Asia. And there was a couple of sentences in that about Japan. There was loads about other countries. A couple of sentences about Japan, one of which was that two-thirds of cities, towns, and villages in Japan have no church and no missionary. That's a very out-of-date statistic now. But I was really, really struck by that, just the, that 
churchlessness, the number of people with mm. no opportunity to go and hear about Jesus who can save them from their sins and bring them to peace with God and grant them eternal life. And at that time, I was working with a church, which was the only church in a town of about 20,000 people in the UK. I, I'd been asked by them to come and give some advice about evangelism. It's quite a small church, evangelism reaching that town. So I was meeting with the minister regularly and we were working that out. And you know, I'd been feeling, wow, you know, this church of 20 is trying to reach 20,000 people. And then I was looking at Japan and thinking, well, you know, a lot of towns of 20,000 people in Japan and bigger have no church. And so Japan, it just entered my heart. I started to pray for Japan every day. As I talked to my wife about it, she too felt that sort of burden for Japan. The more we prayed and read and, and talked to missionaries who've been working in Japan, the more we felt, well, maybe we do need to be open to going to Japan. We talked to our home church pastor. We talked to OMF. And both encouraged us, this seems to be the Lord's will for you. And so not that long after that, we, we were here. With a, and we came with a, with a great burden for those places with no church, places where Christ is not known, where he's not glorified, where people are not hearing about the hope, the salvation that they need, where people's lives are not being changed by grace. That's mm. a really compelling and powerful story and, and amazing really john i think how you were so open to wait and to see what god had in store for you carrying on faithfully in the things that you were involved in but thinking and praying and reading although you thought this is the ministry i'm going to do forever when it looked like maybe that wasn't the thing forever that your your willingness and to to consider something different i think is really really encouraging i think we can get set in our ways and think this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, and I think just being prepared that God might have something else for you is a helpful reminder. Yeah, I mean, what we see and know is a tiny amount of our own lives in the world, whereas God sees and knows everything. And mm. you know, we, we can trust him much better than we can trust ourselves to know what we ought to be doing. Mm. And I, I should just add as a sort of coda to that story that when, when we got to Japan, I fell in love with the Japanese language, having not wanted to learn any language whatsoever. And I still I still love it now. So there we go. Mm. The Lord was at work on that too. <laughs> yeah, that's really miraculous. The big hurdle in many ways was, I don't want to go somewhere I've got to learn another language. It's going to take years and years to become proficient in the language of so many characters. You know, here we have 26 letters in the English language. And I, I believe there's like hundreds if not thousands of, of Japanese characters to wrap yeah, your head around, which is a, a staggering thing to even comprehend. Uh, and that's where you went, first of all, all our workers go and, and they're dedicated really for a few years to full-time uh, what we call Daniel training. Now there's understanding the local culture, getting to know the history and then the traditions and the, the religious background, but also a big emphasis on, on language study. I know we have a great Japanese culture and language learning center established in Japan. After that time, what did you go on to do in Japan? What, what was the first thing out of, out of language study that you got involved so in? We went to a place called Kitami, which is Japan's coldest city, down to minus 30 in the winter. And we went there to train and work under an experienced Japanese pastor the church that he pastors at the time had about 35 members. But despite that relative smallness, they had been actively involved in planting churches. They'd planted one from scratch, um, which is now an mm. independent church. They had replanted a church which had shrunk down to two or three members and was looking looking like it, it was going to have to close, but the members wanted to keep it going. They wanted to rebuild it. And this was in a city three hours away from Kitami, but the pastor got behind them, the church got behind them. And, and now that church is once again thriving as the same pastor, it's growing. And then the church has also been involved in a church plant, which the denomination that, it's, that that church is part of has has been working on. So that was a great experience for us there to serve and work, both in terms of discipling in the church 
and also in terms of evangelism, but also to learn firsthand about church planting in Japan. Hmm. And it's it's really great to hear that you went, and I suppose perhaps we we have this idea of of mission and missionaries and church planters as you're going and you're you're starting this thing and sort of you're in you're in charge as the as the outsider, I suppose. But great to hear that although the church is very small in Japan, although as you say, there are many towns and cities of, of thousands, maybe millions, where there's no one, where there are churches, there is that opportunity for you to come as a as a non-Japanese person to come in and to serve underneath Japanese leadership, to come under the Japanese and say, we want to serve you. We want to serve the people of Japan and we want to do that with you and listening to you and learning from you. Yeah. Yeah. Could you unpack some of your experience of, of church planting here? You said you're a part of a church plant in St. Albans, but also... Now, what is church planting for you in the context of, of Japan and particularly Sapporo at this time? Great, thank you. So since 2016, my wife and I have been working at a church called Izumi Church, which was started in 2009 by some OMF missionaries in an area called Minami Hidegishi, uh, which has about 35,000 people living in it and has never had a church in its history. And as far as we know, no one's ever done any outreach here. That's the sort of focus area of Minami Hideyoshi. But we are now the closest church for about 80,000 people. Wow. So there's a significant unreached area around us. We're still a fairly small church, though we've been growing. Excluding missionaries, we have 12 active church members. We have a few other church members. Some have moved away for work, so they're not with us here. So this is a church that started from nothing and has been growing slowly over the years. I guess to compare it to our English um, church planting experience, that church that we that we're members of, we're still members of now, was planted by a large church who could send you know, a load of members over to, to be the beginning of that church. Whereas here, there's no one to send, to start from, from nobody and grow from there. And you, you, you'll find these sort of areas all over Japan where there's just no church. You look around, there's nothing. So what, what are we trying to do here in terms of church planting? In some ways, it's very basic. We're trying to do what I hope churches everywhere are trying to do. We're trying to disciple the small flock of believers, uh, build them up in Christ, fan their gifts into flame, get them knowing Jesus better, living for him in every area of life, serving him. And then we're trying to reach out to these 80,000 people with the good news about Jesus. To go into a bit more detail, the the things for making disciples and discipling our, our folks here, Sunday preaching, small group Bible studies, one-to-ones, giving people opportunities to serve in various ways, encouraging evangelism and so on and so forth. And in terms of, of reaching out, you know, with a small number trying to reach a very large number, we feel it's very important to be doing all sorts of things. So and we very much encourage personal evangelism and are involved in it ourselves. We also try and do things which will reach many people in some way. So we've, over the last few years, given out 20,000 or so church leaflets into doors through the area. We, we go out to the station, give tracts out to the commuters and things like that. We do all sorts of evangelistic events and trying to get different sorts of people coming in contact with the gospel. Something that's very important in Japan, and I'm sure it's important everywhere, but particularly here, is investing in relationships, which can take a long time to deepen, mm. build, and trust here is very important. And I think maybe I'll we'll talk about this a little bit later, why that is. I think some particular hurdles for people and particular things we have to consider about church planting here are, for example, people see Christianity as a foreign religion. So we need to sort of 
be lessening that foreignness, showing it as something that's for everybody, that this God is not some foreign God. He is the God. He's just as much the God of Japan as he is the God of anywhere else. There's also a view that Christianity, religion in general, but especially Christianity, is great for for the weak. It's great for people who are particularly weak or troubled. I used to meet with a man quite regularly, a non-Christian guy, who was utterly delighted that we'd come to Japan to talk to people about Jesus because there are some people around who need that sort of thing. Never interested for himself, but interested for those weak who needed that. And the other thing is that there are loads of religions around in Japan. The Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are very active here. And so we need to be careful to distinguish ourselves from them. And that's another reason why these trust relationships are important. People get to know us and think, oh, these people are not out to get our money. They're not out to pressure us into doing X, Y, or Z. They're not sort of trying to manipulate us. We, We can trust them. Yeah, it's really helpful to hear what does the role involve and, and how how does it happen and how different it is, I suppose, from here. The kind of church plant we might typically see in the UK of dozens, if not 50 to 100 people going to start the church. And so, yeah, very different when it's you and maybe one other person getting things going. Yeah. And, and and to that end and to the idea of, of just those, those 80,000 people and it's, and it's you and a handful of others, why do you think this idea of starting churches is still the way to reach Japan in your particular instance or or the world more generally. Some people might listen and think, well, with broadcast and the internet and apps and technology, are there not faster, better, more effective ways in in today's world? Why, Why are we still doing things the way that perhaps we see in the New Testament? 2,000 years ago, this is what we were doing. Isn't there a better way now? Yeah, thank you. That's an interesting choice of adjectives. I think certainly there are faster ways of doing it, but I don't think there are better or more effective ways of reaching a community. There are a number of reasons for that. The first thing is just that Christians gathering together is very clearly biblical. Believers gathering together is emphasized in the Old Testament. Christians gathering together is emphasized in the New Testament. In Hebrews 10, it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but but do so Mm. all the more as you see that day approaching, the day of Christ's coming. And there are many other things as well. So the, the first thing is we'd have to trust God that his ways are the best. I hope that you're enjoying this conversation about church planting on the Serve Asia podcast. If you are, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please, think about leaving us a review. This really helps to spread the word of the Serve Asia podcast, allowing others to discover all that you're enjoying and learning. If you want to get in touch, follow us on Instagram at Serve Asia podcast or send us an email uk.podcast at omfmail.com. Those links and more besides are in the show notes. Let's get back to today's conversation. And so Christians meeting together as a church is, is God's way of doing things. And in terms of Christians growing, again, it's very clear from the Bible that in order to really grow and support each other and be a fellowship, Christians need to be together in, for loving one another, for bearing one another's burdens, for teaching one another, for praying together, for rebuking one another for encouraging one another, for sharing our joys and sorrows together. Mm. We, we need to get together. I'm sure we've all experienced that, that being in person, uh, you, you, people just open up so much more and you get closer to each other. But it's also really important for our witness. You know, Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Mm. Jesus expects that one thing that will draw people to him and his salvation is when they see Christians loving each other. People will think, hey, I, I want that love. I want to know where that love comes from. 
and 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 we see that you know we we have non-christians turn up at church and their their reflection at the end of a service is wow i've never been somewhere like this where everyone clearly really cares for each other it's like a family and then in terms of the internet and you know other sort of platforms like that i think to talk about japan in particular but this is probably true of the uk as well most people aren't seeking to know about jesus and the internet for all its many good points it doesn't come to you for things that you're not mm. interested in you know all sorts of ads will come up but they are you know attached to the things that you've searched for and the things that you've bought online so if you're not actively looking to find mm. out about christian faith you won't find the website or the app or whatever it is that tells you about jesus whereas we can go to people we can proactively go to them the internet is also full of questionable content and unhelpful things as well as very good things as a bit of preparation for this interview i just quickly googled the japanese word for christianity just see what would come up first that's probably what people would google if they wanted to know interestingly the second thing that comes up is the website for turkish air the airline and with an explanation for their passengers about what christianity is is like so that when turkish folks go abroad on the plane they can know a bit of what to expect it hardly explains the gospel so unless you have some sort of know-how you've really no way of assessing what should i look at what's real christianity however i i think it's really important to say that this sort of thing should we plant a church or should we use the internet is not actually an either or question church planting i think is is biblical and essential but you know we live in an age where people are, are using making use of the internet and their phones and all sorts of things all the time and we want the gospel to be there as well and so i i don't think we have to choose i think alongside the important thing of church planting we can be making use of these platforms. We as a church, we don't have much technical know-how amongst us, but we do have a YouTube channel. We do have a Facebook page. We have a young lady in the church who'd like to start us on Instagram and sort of help us to do YouTube better, which, which is great, and we're exploring uh, how we can do that. And there are some wonderful other ministries around as well. There's uh, an organization doing radio and television programs, which, which are excellent there are some really, really good websites now, and we try and link to those and point people to those, especially for people who, who don't live near a church, which for many people in Japan, that's the case. You know, that, that might be their only way of hearing about the Lord until a church is planted. So whilst affirming church planting, I want to make use of other media as well. Thanks, John. We could probably dig into that for hours, but I think still you've managed to encapsulate quite a lot of important things there, particularly that point of this is the, the biblical model and this is how people hear by the individual proclamation, by the church gathering, by people coming together and, and all the significance of physically being together, which I'm sure given the past few years that most of us have experienced where church wasn't physical, many of us perhaps got a taste of why this isn't an ideal entire replacement but also that recognition of there are useful tools. And in the same way that at some point technology in Germany gave us the printing press and then a sudden change in how Bibles could be distributed. And faithful men and women didn't say, oh, well, we'll just have to carry on writing them out by hand. Mm -hmm. They embraced that technology. And lots of people would say that the, the European Reformation was, was only really possible because of Gutenberg's printing press. And in the same way today, a church can embrace tools, Facebook, Instagram, web pages but they go alongside as tools the church wields and how perhaps it informs some of the things the church does but it doesn't replace the necessity and the centrality of that physical gathering together yeah that's exactly it yeah. we've talked a lot and we have this series called the church planting series but in my initial conversation with you you sort of said oh, i'd like to caveat that these terms and these words that get thrown about and and why you perhaps think or at least speak differently about them in your context with Azumi Church. So I wonder if you could put some flesh on, on those bones. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I over the last few years, I've come to the conclusion that church plant as a noun is not a very helpful term. 
to say uh, to say we work at a church plant or you know I go to a church plant. What does it mean? You know, once mm-hmm. you really sit down and think about it, what on earth does it mean if you plant a church? I'm happy with the verb to plant a church. If you plant a church, what do you have? You don't have a church plant. You have a church. And this idea of having a church plant is not actually a biblical category, I don't think. You know, even when Paul had planted a church, then that church is already a church. You know, he doesn't sort of wait 10 years down the line and then say, okay, mm. you're a church now. At what point do you say now you've become a church? It's, it's very difficult to sort of to work that out. And, and what actually is the difference? You know, 10 years down the line, you say, okay, now you're a church. What's changed? And what I have noticed here is that when you talk about your church as a church plant, that the people who are a part of the church feel that that means that what you're doing now is temporary because we're not a proper church yet. The things that we're doing now are things that we probably won't do in the future or won't need to do in the future. I think people often, it makes them feel that they're they're always going to be immature until you've crossed the imaginary boundary into churchhood. And also some people feel that they're missing out. Like, oh, if we were a real church, this would happen. And we we want to get rid of all of that and say, no, no, we, we are a church. We are God's people gathered together. We're, we're a young church, yes. Being young, we have a much higher percentage of recently converted people than an older church would. We're a small church, so some things are certainly different. But the fundamental things are the same. We're trying to do what the Bible says churches should do. We're trying to be what the Bible says churches should be. And we want people to sort of carry the DNA of what the church is now into the future, not to think at some point we're going to jettison all this. And related to that here, there's some confusion i think amongst japanese christians about the role of missionaries and the role of pastors so there's an assumption with many folks that missionaries do evangelism and pastors do pastoring We, we want to say no to that no missionaries if they're involved in planting a church need to be doing both and pastors if they're involved in leading a church need to be doing both but Coming back to this church plant question, if you call yourself a church plant, um, then people can easily think, oh, so now's the time we do lots of evangelism. But once we're a church, we can sort of calm down a bit and do a bit less of that. Mm. And say, no, no, this is what the church is called to do. We want to keep going like this. It's nothing to do with size or age. It is is what we is what we're called to do. And it helps the church to think when we hand over to a Japanese pastor. Of course, they'll do some things differently, but there's not going to be a fundamental change in the church's DNA. Hmm. John, that's that's great. And I just really a good reminder there of, of the importance of words, I suppose. And we are we are word people as people who, who believe in, in God's revealed word, the Bible. I, I suppose we, we see the importance of words and so it yeah. can be really helpful to make sure we use the right words for the right people in the right place. And again, that sensitivity to the culture and the understanding of Japanese language. You've told us a bit about what you're doing and what you hope to see for the church. I wonder if you could give us some recent highlights of what it's been like being involved with Azumi Church. Yeah, thank you. One would be that every year, really, we have hundreds of people hearing the good news about Jesus to give a couple of recent concrete examples, it's we've just passed Easter and at our Easter service, and, you know, no one's heard of Easter here in Japan. It's, it's just about becoming sort of vaguely known for, you know, sort of commercial Easter eggs and things mm. like that. Uh, but really no one's heard of it. And so normally at our Easter service, we might get one or two guests, but, but no one much really. This year we've got 25 guests at Easter mm. all hearing about Jesus risen from the dead. We do an annual Christmas party as a family outreach. Recently, we we having sort of average 20, 20 to 30 kids. We got 56 kids and 21 non-Christian adults along. And yeah, we've had that quite a lot recently over the past few years. We've had a lot of people coming in and hearing about 
the Lord Jesus, which is wonderful. And in the last three years, we've had the great privilege of baptizing seven people. One of them, sadly, has since then turned her back on the Lord. And we don't know what's happened to her. But the other six are really going on well with the Lord. Oh, actually, I should say f- five of them are. One of them died last week, but she had been faithfully walking with the Lord until the end and is now with glory in him. So she is still going on faithfully with the Lord. Um, <laughs> and it's been wonderful to see these new believers grow in their faith, grow in love and understanding, grow in boldness, prayerfulness and faith. We've, we also, three, four years ago, we, we started a deacon's system. And it's been wonderful to see how our deacons have been serving faithfully and and wisely. I mentioned earlier that people who come to Izumi Church often go away saying, it's like a a, a loving family. And that's a real thrill to to see how folks love each other. Yeah, it's great to get a taste of what is going on and really exciting. Yeah, to hear that the those who come are are going on with the Lord and, and being discipled and also that people are joining your number. So the other side, I suppose, of ministry of all these encouragements is, of course, the, the challenges anyone who's been in, involved in a church or any sort of sort of small group or a Bible study or perhaps just meeting up with somebody one-to-one or just living the life following Jesus will appreciate that there are challenges and, and difficulties that come. What are the specific challenges that you face and I suppose that the church more broadly faces as you seek to, to reach out uh, in Sapporo? I think a big one is the lack of fruit, or at least the, the lack of fruit that we see. Although we've baptized these seven people in the last three years, up until then, there, there had not been very many baptisms here. And when I think of the hundreds, thousands of people who in some way or other who've heard something of the gospel over the years that Izumi Church has existed, you see, and we've just had these few people come to faith. It can feel very wearing, sometimes very discouraging, but we often get people turn up and they're really enthusiastic and you know they say, oh yeah, we definitely want to come again. It was so good and I want to hear more about this and then we never see them again. Another is ageing, not just me ageing, but the the country and the church is aging. The average age of our congregation here is 64 and churches across Japan have similar average ages. So it's proving very difficult to reach younger people with the gospel and see them come to faith and stick at church. And there are lots of exceptions and we're we're grateful for those churches who who have thriving groups of young people. But for the church's future, we, we really need some more younger people to uh, to come in. I think another thing is there's a real suspicion, I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, a suspicion about proactive religious groups. And some of you may have seen in the, in the news recently that the government's links with the Moonies, the Unification Church, who are a Korean-founded cult, if you're not familiar with them, have come under the spotlight. And that's making people more and more wary of religious groups that they don't really understand. And so we often do meet with suspicion and people just you know, wanting us to, to stay away. And then I'd, if I'm to mention one other thing, it's that Japan is a very private culture. People don't tend to share personal things and that can make discipleship and evangelism quite tricky and we don't really know what's going on in people's lives i think we've made some progress in that area as a church and seeing people open up more but it can still be very difficult to really get to the root of matters to have those deep important conversations Um, and people often when they've got a problem instead of coming for help go away you know so that they don't have to so the people don't see that they're struggling, so they don't have to talk about it. And there's a real fear here of being a nuisance. It's one of the worst things you can do is be a nuisance. And so, you know, people often try and hide their problems or, or you know, you offer help and they say, oh, no, 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 I, I, I can't be a nuisance. 
And this is a set phrase in Japan. You know, people use it all the time. And I say to people, look, you know, I've, I've come to Japan. I've come thousands of miles. I've learned the language for you. Be a nuisance. You know, I, I, I'm here so that people can be a nuisance towards me. What I want you to be. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's good to hear, I suppose, the, the realities of life and, and ministry. And also, how do you begin to to have some answers? And I think that's a really helpful one to, yeah, to kind of to welcome welcome the very thing people don't want to be. Mm. I wonder if that's a helpful phrase that we could each of us could take into our our days as we seek to to love our neighbour as ourselves. If we have that uh, that in our minds, that Jesus has has called us to be people who are ready for people to be a nuisance. That's that's really helpful. In this kind of backdrop of of some rays of, of hope, some glimmers of uh, of fruit, and and the excitement of people coming to follow Jesus and to walk in His ways, but against this backdrop of aging population, aging church, real struggles, limited resources, how do you go about establishing a church in that context? What are some of the things that for want of a better word, are strategies or approaches, the tools you use to get connected in this way. You've mentioned a few of them, but I wonder if there, there are some other unpacking that could be done. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, personal evangelism from us and from all the church members is vital. And we, we're doing personal evangelism training with our members and so on and so forth. We try and do a variety of outreach events so that we can attract different people, reach different people. And although there is suspicion, especially some of our family outreach events have attracted a lot of people and some people have continued coming and we get regulars coming back. I think once they've been once, which is a big hurdle, but once they've been once, People are generally more at peace. Um, you know, we, we, we have a boy, I guess he's 10, who for the last two or three years has been coming by himself to our Sunday school pretty much every Sunday. He came once to an event, took home the thing that he'd made and said to his parents, I really want to go again. I love making things there. And they said, well, you seem to have had a good time. They seem to be friendly. Go for it. So those are helpful. But yeah, the building relationships thing, which you mentioned, and getting known has been very important. And we have tried to put a lot of effort into that, both individually and also as a church. To give one example of something I do individually, I volunteer at the local primary school library, where my son is in year three at the primary school. And that means that local children, we have four local primary schools, but this is the big one. Local children know my face. So when I'm inviting kids to come to things, they know I'm the guy from the school library. And we also live very locally here. So often I meet a child I know with their parent and I'm able to say who I am. I volunteer in the school library and also I'm, I'm the pastor of the church here. We do various kids events when you come along. And so that's been important. And also getting to know the other volunteers there who are largely parents we had one of the other volunteers. She was asked by a friend of hers, I, I got this flyer for these kids' events at this church, which looked really good, but I'm a bit worried about it. Is it safe? And the volunteer in the library said, oh, yeah, I, I know John really well. Mm. He's, he's completely trustworthy. And this volunteer had come to a couple of events at church. You know, they're, they're great. Your, your kids will love them. Then as a church, we are, strangely, the church is a member of the local shopping association or local business association, like not being a business or a shop. But that that's sort of a, a, a community organization who do things for the community as well as sort of promoting each other. So this has given us the opportunity to be involved in loads of community-run events, particularly they do a big summer festival every year in a park which is directly opposite the church here so we're, we're clearly visible from there and as well as the the main bit in the park they do a, a thing where local shops and businesses do sort of a, a hundred yen something or other so we do hundred yen kids craft or we've done hundred yen milkshakes or hundred yen bazaar you know whatever it is and last year this festival we had more than 300 people come through the doors of the church and the majority of them for the first time. 
And this group also, it was my suggestion, actually, I said we should have a local area catalogue so that people who move into the area can know what's here. So we made one, the community group, business association made one, and we're in there with a double page spread saying who we are as a church, the sort of things that we do. So those sort of things have been very important in terms of building trust relationships. People look at us, oh, they're a member of this community association. They wouldn't be allowed to be that if they were a weird group. And this community organization does loads of socials and things like that. And I try and get to them as much as possible and meet people. And because of what it is, everyone always gets to introduce themselves and say where they work and what they're doing. And, you know, why don't you come along? Um, so that's been good. And then one other thing to mention is that we what we do get coming along to the church is a lot of troubled people get a lot of phone calls and visits from troubled local people who are desperate. They don't know where else to turn. They come along to the church. And I think that's been really important, not just for meeting and helping those people, but also that the the community sees that we are a group of people who are here, fathers, and willing to to gently gently help. John, that's it's a really helpful reminder. I think for all of us, just as individuals and as as churches and as small groups and and other gatherings of of Christians to be known in our communities and yet yeah, to never underestimate that serving somewhere in a small way that is beyond kind of normal church activity like you volunteering in a library is a way of people getting to know you and associating who you are how you behave in that role and the fact that you're trustworthy and, and, and admirable in, in your service in that voluntary role, one day could be a part of somebody trusting the offer of the gospel. And I remember, I think it's John Dixon's book, Promoting the Gospel. Then if you come across that. And he has this fantastic picture of kind of everyone plays a slightly different part in, in proclaiming the gospel. And some people might be the one who speaks uh, the, the truth and tell somebody, hey, you, you need to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus said. And in the background somewhere else, that person works with someone who they know is a Christian. And they've never actually spoken to that person about Christian things. But as soon as this person says, this, this is what Christians believe, they go, oh, that's why the person I know from work is so different, because they believe this thing. And, and that's a, a similar thing to I think that you're, you're saying there is that somebody suddenly joins some dots. Oh, John is like this, and John is part of that church, and this person is saying that this, and, and those things will come together. I think perhaps we can, we can, I don't know, rule out our small part, perhaps, that, that just living faithfully for Jesus in the community could actually be a large part of someone connecting with the gospel. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. One thing I forgot to mention earlier, John said that the church was doing 100 yen crafts. In case you get the wrong idea and think, oh, this is a great get-rich-quick scheme for the church charging 100 yen a throw. Some people might not be familiar with the Japanese currency. I think that's about 60p, John, yeah. is that right? Definitely less than a pound. Yeah, it's about 67 pence. And we, because people are very suspicious about religious groups wanting money, we, we have big posters up everywhere saying we give all the profits to charity. I wonder, besides just... Well, sometimes people do come along. What keeps you going in the face of the adversity and the difficulty of the ministry in which you're engaged in? Yeah, and the answer is quite simple, really. It's the promises of God. You know, I feel and we all feel our weaknesses, our smallness, the little that we can do. We see little visible fruit at times, but God's promised that he will bring the harvest. In Galatians, it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Mm. And Revelation 7 promises that there'll be a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And presumably, that includes many people from Japan. And so we'd have to trust, you know, even if we can't see what God is doing, that he, he's always at work. And he, he is doing something. And at the proper time, the, the harvest will come, whether that be now or in the future. And and you see that time and time again. You know, you can read many missionary biographies 
where they labored hard for 40 years, nothing seemed to happen. And then over the next two years, you know, thousands of people came to Christ and, you know, the, the Lord has his timing. I just have to trust his promises. And the other thing that keeps me going is the fellowship and encouragement of Japanese Christians, both in the church here and other Japanese pastors who I know. That's, that's a massive help as well. And the great thing is those promises are unchanging. They're completely unrelated, I suppose, to the circumstances we see before us is that we can we can trust these eternal promises of God that are, that are true yesterday and they're, and they're true on into the next generations. John, I want to maybe try and start rooting this in the, the lives of many of our listeners. And I think it's fair to say very few are, are currently living in Japan. Yeah. The vast majority of our audience does actually live here in the UK. They're getting on with their lives following Jesus and perhaps haven't yet thought about what it would mean to be involved in church planting, but are keen to share the good news of Jesus with those around them. What can you share from your experience that would encourage each of us as we seek to live for Jesus and to make him known? This is related, I think, to what I was saying earlier about the problems with the word church plant, that actually we're just a church. And so I think All of the things I've mentioned, I think, are healthy things for any church to do. The Bible says we should make the most of every opportunity. And I think when you are starting a church from scratch, working with a very small church, you are sort of super aware of that, that there are 80,000 people around us. Most of them have probably never heard anything meaningful about Jesus. And so you're aware that every person I meet needs you know, if I talk to them, it may be the first time they've ever met a Christian or the first time they ever mm-hmm. hear about Jesus. We've just had a, a man who's 80 start coming to some English classes that a, a colleague runs here. And there's a Bible bit at the end of it. And he, he's been amazed by the Bible. Bit. He's been, wow, I, I never knew people thought like this. I've never heard anything like this before. This is extraordinary. Everyone should know about this. He's 80. He'd never heard a single thing from the Bible or a single thing about Jesus before and that's not just japan in the uk too there are many people who even if they think they know something about the christian faith they don't really know what it's about and to have that mentality of today with god's help i'm going to make the most of every opportunity every person i meet there is something that i can do it might be something very small we had we've got a lady who comes with her daughter to most of our family outreach events and the other day she came for the first time on a Sunday as well and we got to know her my wife and I because taking our son to school and our daughter to kindergarten we'd walk past her where she was waiting to put her daughter on the kindergarten bus to another kindergarten and you know walk past her every day say hello and we're doing this for a few weeks everyone's in a hurry to get their child where they need to go so there's no time to stop and chat after a few weeks of this she called over to my wife and she saw her at another time and said, thanks for always being so friendly. You know, since we're both local and, and you know, we've got similar age children, could we swap details? So and my wife swapped details with her and then invited her to the next her family outreach and she came along. And, you know, it all begins with, I, here is someone who hasn't heard about Jesus. I'll try and build a relationship and just, yeah, talking to people being friendly, carrying around church leaflets or tracts or whatever it is so you can invite people to things. And uh, yeah, and also I think the other thing as a church, something you do when you're small is you're always thinking, what types of people aren't we reaching? Is it, you know, sort of people doing this sort of job? Is it this age range? What can we do? What different thing can we try? What haven't we done before? What might attract those sort of people? And, um, you know, as a young church, we don't have a sort of we've always done things this way sort of thing Mm -hmm. we haven't had an always we haven't been around long enough to do to have always been doing things and so we can just try new things you know i think that's very important for a church thinking okay what can we do now what can we do now so that proactivity that looking for opportunities and thinking actually every time i meet someone or see something it's an opportunity to do something even if it's just saying hello but it may be inviting them to church we've got a great track record here inviting strangers to church and people coming along so yeah that sort of mentality i think that's really helpful and encouraging it's encouraging because again that emphasis on 
on really just being ready and just considering those small moments and taking the time, I suppose, day by day and throughout each day to be available to the Lord and to say, I don't know what opportunities you're going to give me, but I am ready and, and pray that you will make me ready to make the most of those opportunities. And some of those may be really big. They may be people coming and saying, hey, I know that you're at this church. I know that you know Jesus. Can you, can you tell me what you think? Uh, or it could just be a moment to help and to love and to, to care that may down the road prove to be a connection for the gospel. From all that you've learned, you have been involved in, in, a, in a lot, it feels, as, as we've spoken, and many years now in Japan. From this experience in Japan, in another context, what has perhaps challenged your previous thinking? If you think back to John of 10, 15, 20 years ago, how has your experience in Japan now shaped how you go about things differently. In particular, I think, what have you learned from, from Japanese people, perhaps those that you've just come into contact with through ministry, maybe fellow members of your church and those that you have worked alongside and under in ministry? I think if I were to identify a few things that I've seen, one is perseverance. Looking at some of the pastors of churches, especially in rural areas where, you know, they had 15 members 20 years ago and those members have slowly got older and died and now they've got five members and they're trying really hard to reach out with the gospel. They're not seeing fruit, but they're keeping going and they're still joyful in the Lord. That sort of, yeah, just that joyful perseverance in the face of, you know, from, from this world's perspective, you know, nothing much happening. I think Japanese believers are really good at valuing what we might think of as small acts of service, you know, seeing sort of putting out the chairs on a Sunday morning uh, as a really big and important thing or tapping the button on the computer to make their PowerPoint go on for their hymn words. You know, I think in, in the UK, maybe it's just me, <laughs> had a tendency to think, oh, well, you know, that's just whatever. It's just the sort of little thing that needs to be done rather than thinking, no, you know, with the right heart, that's an act of service to God. So that's worship, mm. um, I think, yeah. There's a humility here, an eagerness to to learn, to be taught, to to want to serve. Yeah, and, and a wonderful prayerfulness. And I think also... You know, you see, we've a man in the church here, for example, who when he came to Christ, his family were dead against him, dead against it, threatened to throw him out of the family and to cut him off. And you know, this this is not unusual here. And so seeing believers there who've made that sort of sacrifice and to work through mm. that and have stuck to Jesus, well, that's, that's wonderful too. And I think just this isn't so much about Japan, but just in a, small church setting we were a part of a small church the churches around us are small just you know that what that means is that you have to give opportunities of service to young christians to new christians you have to get them doing things straight away i've seen what a blessing that is how they grow how actually they, they serve wonderfully how it helps disciple them i think in larger churches we often just give the the sort of the important jobs, as it were, although that, that's not quite the right way of looking at it, but, you know, the upfront jobs, the uh, teaching at Sunday school, doing this and the other, serving as a deacon, give those jobs to people who've been Christians for 20 years. But here, we don't have them. You've got to give it to the, that job to the person who was baptised last year, and, mm. and we can train people through that. John, sharing that, yeah, it's, it's really encouraging, and I think just that that willingness to, yeah, to put things in, in the hands of those who who are newer to the faith. And I suppose we probably all look back on those times when somebody gave us something to do in church, gave us some role to fulfill. And the blessing that that was to us looking back, how the Lord used that in our discipleship of our own lives. And perhaps we're too slow maybe to give those opportunities to others. Yeah. On that sort of note, I wonder, are there any... 
mistakes that that you have have made or that that as a broader team broader organization serving in japan these are things that we or people like us have in the past got wrong and that we need to be learning from uh, as we head forwards yeah i mean i i'm sure i make mistakes every day and people are very gracious which i'm i'm grateful for and, and most of all the lord's very gracious which i'm even more grateful for if i had just uh, to think about uh, to talk about my own mistakes which i think is is is, is a good thing to to do i i think when we first got to japan there's a lot of emphasis emphasis rightly on contextualization you know making sure we're doing things in a japanese way not bringing in western values but being faithful christians in a japanese setting and we we learned a lot from that and, and that's been very important and we're still very much trying to to do that here however i think I think our mistake, my mistake at the beginning was to be sort of paralyzed by that, thinking, well, I hardly know the, the culture and my, my language is still terrible and ending up not speaking about the Lord because oh, what, what if I say that and I get it wrong and you know, I've been told this word that we use in, that's in the Bible and Christians sometimes think it means this, completely other thing. So, you know, maybe don't use that without a lot of explanation, especially at the beginning when you can't give a lot of explanation. And I think we sort of forgot how much the Lord can work through our weakness and we don't need to be brilliant orators for the Lord Mm -hmm. to to use that. So I think that was one mistake was being too cautious. I think a big mistake when we first started working at Izumi Church, it was still very, very small then. It's it's grown a lot since then. And there'd been a time where there was no one leading it for a few months for various reasons. And the church was really struggling. We got here and saw there's a lot of work to be done. A lot of things need to be changed, need to happen. But I think we tried to do too much. I didn't listen enough to people as part of that process. I think I didn't explain enough. Japan's a slow society. You know, you do things slowly so that people can reach consensus and people can understand and get behind things before you jump out and do them. I didn't didn't pay enough attention to that at the beginning. And I'm sure still sometimes now, you know, I'm an ideas guy. And once I've got what I think is a good idea, I like to just get on with it. You know, what's the point in waiting mm-hmm. around? But there is a point in waiting around, which is getting the whole church behind it. So, yeah, those are two things, I think. John, thanks for, for your honesty. In, in sharing that, not always easy to kind of explore our, our mistakes and perhaps our shortcomings and, and humble of you to say like, still this thing, this is still something maybe I'm, I'm getting wrong today. And yet, as you wonderfully shared, actually, we can, we can trust the Lord to, to work through our weakness. In his strange plan for the world, he's decided that the way he wants to reveal himself is, is in part through his people making him known and people living out, living for Jesus and speaking of Jesus to others. And as, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, the Lord says, in your weakness, actually, that's where my power is made perfect. The very fact that you're not really able to do it is in fact what, what brings me glory and is in fact what shows the world who, who I am. The fact that these normal, quite ordinary people can bring this message and it to be seen to be true is in fact a God's power at work, which is wonderful. Mm, yeah. And finally, finally, John, I wonder what can we be doing now? I suppose here I am, I'm sat in the south of England, I'm having a conversation with you. I, I hear about the needs in Japan and probably hear about the needs of, of many other places in the world. But I'm not really sure what, what I can do. What can someone who's coming to the end of listening to this podcast, what can they do? How can they be involved in, in what you're doing and what people like you are doing around the world? What, what's a step people could take even today, perhaps? Thank you. Uh, the most important thing is to pray. The Lord hears and answers our prayers. If you're not already praying for mission around the world, I'd recommend getting to know two or three countries and really committing yourself to pray for them. Japan is one, but there are other countries too with great needs. So that would be a good thing to do. You can give towards mission work. 
that's that's always helpful. There are all sorts of things that are, that are needed. And for some of you, then I, some of you that the Lord may call you to come, and that may be short term or it may be long term. I mentioned before we baptized seven people over the last three years. One of those ladies that we baptized first came to Izumi Church because we had some short-term workers with us for a couple of months and we were sort of sending them around go and try and meet people and they they went to one place and they got chatting to a lady and they didn't have much Japanese but they talked to her as best that they could and then they had a flyer for an evangelistic event we were doing at the church following Saturday and they invited her and she came and then she kept coming and then we did Bible study with her and then she was converted and baptized and was going on with the Lord. So you can make a difference short term and, you know, Japan needs long-term workers as well. If the Lord calls you here, there are still so many places to be reached with the gospel. What a a great encouragement. And again, it's almost been the theme of this conversation is, is that, that willingness and the, the not despising the small things that actually that praying, bringing these things before the Lord, that can be a great work and, and going and even thinking, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll get to see Japan. I'll get to experience what ministry is like there. But actually, even that small thing, the Lord was able to use someone coming for a short time and through her, someone came into contact with you and, and is now living for the Lord. That is wonderful and really encouraging. And I hope encourages us to make the most of every opportunity, as you shared earlier, even when they seem small and perhaps insignificant. So thanks so much, John. It's been really great to talk to you, really great to dig in to some of what you're involved in in Japan and to get a sense of what it means to establish groups of believers around the world and fantastic for us to think through what it means to be people who belong to churches who are keen to make Jesus known to those who haven't yet heard and to build up those who continue to walk with him on their way. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's been been great to be here. I don't know if that's the right phrase for a podcast, but... It's been great to have you. Thank you very much. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Do hit subscribe to the Surveyor podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And if you've got a moment to review it, it'd be fantastic as that's a great way of helping other people discover what you're listening to and enjoying here on the Surveyor podcast. Do get in touch with us, check out the show notes for how to email us or give us a follow on Instagram. We're at Surveyor podcast. We love hearing from those who listen to the podcast, sharing their ideas and letting us know what they'd like to hear next. That's all for today. We look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode of the Surveyor podcast. Goodbye.